It's Monday, December 27th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. NFTs are all the rage in the art market right now, with about $2.4 billion worth of NFTs being traded in the second quarter alone. But with all this money come scammers and hackers taking advantage of people by selling fake art, stealing credit card numbers, and even spreading viruses that can drain crypto wallets of all their funds. Kelly Crow, art reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for why you should be wary of NFT scams. Next, Facebook knows that Instagram can be a problem for teen girls. According to their own internal research, 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. While there are many social media platforms out there, some of these problems are worse on Instagram. TikTok is focused on video and performance. Snapchat keeps the focus on the face with filters. But Instagram centers on the body and lifestyle, making social comparisons worse. Georgia Wells, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how Facebook has consistently played down the app's negative effects, despite research showing it's been a problem. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I've talked with artists who have lost as much as $4 million in a single go. Artists who are finding their work on sale, you know, as NFTs on platforms, and they've never tried to mention NFT in their life. So some person has just (laughs) impersonated them and taken their work. Joining us now is Kelly Crow, art reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Wanted to talk about NFTs, non-fungible tokens in the art market right now. NFTs are all the rage right now. The art market is supercharged by them and people buying them. You know, it's the new digital flex for a lot of people uh, out there. But as with any new emerging thing, scammers and hackers are always ready to pounce on this. And what we're seeing right now is fake art, fake NFTs, stolen credit card numbers, other phishing schemes and and, uh, people draining digital wallets. It's pretty crazy. So, Kelly, help us walk through some of it. What are we seeing? I mean, a lot of folks in my world, I cover the art world. And so artists and curators and collectors are all very curious to sort of wade into this rapidly expanding marketplace. But sort of the truth is that there's a little bit of a dark side to it because there are very, very bad guys out there that are very savvy technologically. And in addition to sort of just doing the regular click on this link phishing schemes, right, that can drain your stuff. There's pretty complex fraud happening. One artist that I talked to said, you know, he described it as just massive, massive fraud. And so, you know, you've got phony platforms popping up that are sort of enlisting artists to send work. But in fact, the whole ruse is that they're just stealing their credit card information as well as that of buyers potentially who love the art. I've talked with artists who have lost as much as $4 million in a single go. Artists who are finding their work on sale, you know, as NFTs on platforms, and they've never tried to mention NFT in their life. So some person has just (laughs) impersonated them and taken their work. And basically, you know, there's a real Wild West feel about the whole marketplace right now. And I just think artists and consumers just need to wade into it very carefully and make sure you have some security regulations sort of in place. There's a huge irony with it because, you know, a lot of this stuff is being done with cryptocurrency, obviously very decentralized and all that. But, you know, with these NFTs, you know, they're being traded on the blockchain, right, where you're supposed to be able to track everything so much. And uh, dealing with the cryptocurrency is kind of the opposite. You know, you're not you're not able to track so Mm -hmm. many things. So there's a big irony, too, in the way these things are traded. 
It's really poignant because I think a lot of artists sort of entered into this space with a lot of great hope, right? That for the first time, they would be able to embed in the coding, right, of their work that they would sell things that would lock in resale rights so that that when collectors trade their pieces in the future, that they could get a cut, right? Which has never really been implemented across the board ever before, right? And as well as just sort of logging the buyers. A lot of artists, sometimes dealers don't tell them who's buying their work and they feel a little bit out of control of their market over time. And this was meant to solve a lot of problems, but the problem is that it's created some as well because not everyone's an honest broker. And yeah. so um, plenty of people are buying and trading NFTs, but plenty of hackers are also, you know, seizing, making hay from it too. So what we're seeing right there is a lot of scammers kind of making copies of artwork and putting them out there. A lot of people are trying to go on the offensive and try to use software AI to basically track to see if there's copies of artwork that's already out there. Yeah, I mean, I think platforms have taken so much heat, uh, OpenSea, Wearable, the kind of the ones that don't do a lot of curated content, the ones that sort of operate more like eBay, where they take all comers. They're coming under a lot of fire right now because scammers are posting other people's work and passing it off as their own. And so they are starting to develop more AI technology to check for duplicate images. So if, if some, some image exists out there in, in the metaverse and also pops up on their page, that maybe they can find it and sort of stem it or just flag the artist to make sure that it's the real deal. Other entities are just sort of starting from scratch to try to think, how can we make these things safer? And so you've got companies like Chip, which say we're going to work with the artist at the point where it's minted to make sure that it has all of this archival sort of data embedded in it that can be moved from platform to platform so that stuff doesn't get lost in transit. You have other guys like Verisart who are kind of going back to old tech in a way. They're doing both digital certificates of authenticity, but also hard copies that collectors can hang on to. So there's a little bit of a, you know, back channel way to check who has the real JPEG. But I think everyone's just sort of experimenting because so much of the technology is new and yet so much of the greed is old. <laughs> and, and it's not just being duped, you know, your credit card information or buying a fake piece of NFT art. People are getting hit with viruses, too, where they're getting uh, their digital wallets attacked and, and money siphoned away from them. I think that was the, one of the artists that lost the four million dollars in cryptocurrency. <laughs> Yeah. And that was, I mean, again, these artists, especially NFT and digital artists who are suddenly finding real sudden fame after just doing this stuff for free for many, for many years are doing it as sort of their side hobby while making money as graphic designers or animators. Like now suddenly they're in the art world and they're getting lot, they're getting inundated on their social media sites with offers to collaborate, offers to commission pieces. I mean, it's kind of an exciting time to suddenly be in the spotlight, but one artist, you know, one collector told me all it takes is one click, right? Like if you open up a file, someone says, oh, we want to send you some more information about this commission. And then it can be pretty insidious really quickly if you don't have two-factor authentication set up. If you're sort of storing all of your digital wealth on a platform as opposed to having some sort of a literally like a thumb drive, hard drive component that you can unplug right. <laughs> that will protect things. There are some ways that you can do it smarter, but I will say that the sting is probably different than just losing money on a credit card fraud, because you can call your credit card and say, I was defrauded and get your money back. But there's very little recourse if you've bought a fake piece of NFT art, because yeah. the hacker's not going to give you your money back. <laughs> and the transparency on the blockchain makes it possible for you to see that money go from your account to theirs. And they you can then watch them spend it on other things. And you have no way to get that money back, which is just yeah. insult to injury. <laughs> 
Kelly Crow, art reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Or another one is, we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. And this was a slide summarizing research of teen girls who had experienced these issues. Joining us now is Georgia Wells, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Georgia. Hey, thanks for having me. You and your colleagues there at The Journal have another great investigation looking into Facebook and Instagram More specifically, they have some pretty in-depth research that shows that there's a significant impact on the mental health of teen girls that are on Instagram. And, you know, it doesn't make them feel good about their body image a lot of times, Uh, you know, going through the app and seeing constant images of uh, perfect bodies and, and perfect lifestyles and everything really does have an impact on a lot of them. And as I mentioned, their own internal research acknowledges all of that, but it goes contrary to what they do say a lot in public and how they acknowledge what's going on and the impact of social media there. So, Georgia, start us off. What are we seeing? What is Facebook realizing about how Instagram impacts teen girls? So for the past three years, Facebook has been conducting studies into how Instagram affects users and repeatedly These Instagram researchers have found that Instagram is harmful for a sizable percentage of them, most notably teen girls, which you mentioned. Like, for example, a quote from one of the documents is 32 percent of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Or another one is we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. And this was a slide summarizing research of teen girls who had experienced these issues. So their findings are clearly quite stark. Yeah. And those quotes that you're saying are, are they're taken from slides, from actual research presentations that they are showing to people internally at Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So Facebook has researchers on staff who specialize in how to run these both qualitative and quantitative studies. And they've conducted these. And what we're looking at is documents from when they were sharing their findings internally with their own colleagues. Now, one of the things to get off of the table real quick before we get started, and a lot of this, as I mentioned, is coming from this research. You say, well, okay, Instagram isn't culpable in all of this. You know, there's a lot of other social media platforms out there. TikTok is very popular with the younger crowd right now. Snapchat, all this stuff. But a lot of this stuff is specific to Instagram because of the way all the platforms play out. TikTok is uh, is mostly videos, so it's performance-based, and Instagram is very specific photos. So uh, explain that a little bit. Specifically, the mechanism by which kind of a lot of these teen girls appear to be affected is this thing called negative social comparison. And that's this dynamic where if someone's kind of scrolling through an app and looking at other users, rather than just kind of this uh, kind of stance of like, oh, I'm learning about other people and what they're up to, they tend to approach it from the stance of, well, how do I stack up next to these other people in terms of beauty or wealth or success or, you know, their beautiful families or relationships or whatever? And in the research, the researchers say that they've found that this issue of negative social comparison is worse on Instagram than other platforms. So specifically on TikTok, users are sheltered in some part because so much of the content on TikTok is performance-based. It's not taken to mean real life. And on Snapchat, people often use, like, A, it focuses on the face, but also people often use these filters that tend to be more fun or like playful than beautifying, like, you know, like turn your face into that of like a puppy dog or something. 
the reason all this matters that in their documents they say literally social comparison is worse on Instagram than the other platforms is in the past when I've spoken with executives at Facebook about like, hey, how does your platform affect teen mental health? Often the response has been couched in this con- in this language that they've used around like, hey, it's not just a Facebook problem. This is like a social media problem. And here we're seeing literally internally they're saying, oh, no, it's worse on our platform. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're starting to see some of this research internally from Facebook about their product Instagram in public, though. When Mark Zuckerberg and other officials are talking about Facebook, uh, I'm sorry, when they're talking about Instagram, what are they saying when it comes to these issues of mental health? This past March, if you recall, there was a hearing on Capitol Hill and Mark Zuckerberg was called along with the CEOs of other companies to talk about their platforms in general. And one of the questions that one of the senators asked Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg was about like children and mental health. And his response at the time was, quote, the research that we've seen is that using social apps to connect with other people can have positive mental health benefits, end quote. So, yes, that's technically. Pretty, that's pretty that's, broad right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, exactly. Like, sure, that's a technical truth, right? Yeah, I don't it, think it's disputing. But if, you put it, if you put it in the context of people being lonely, needing some friends and reaching out to others, yeah, maybe social media and Instagram can be very beneficial in that way. But you know, when it comes to these specific things of mental health and body issues, you know, the evidence points to the contrary. Exactly. Like throughout the course of all of this reporting, Facebook's research on Instagram seems to represent one of the clearest gaps we've ever seen kind of between Facebook's understanding of itself and the public position that they're taking. And Mark Zuckerberg's quote, I think, is a really strong example of that. They were losing a lot of younger users on Facebook and Instagram came up was already kind of a hit when they purchased Instagram and they saw that as, as the future for them, a, a way to really still connect with younger people and keep growing the platform there. So, you know, the follow through for them has not been there. You know, they, they're seeing these problems pop up, but they're doing little to address it. it, it it's tough, right? You, you want to keep uh, as many people on the platform while trying to address some of these issues. Facebook's own data now show that like Instagram is toxic for many teenage girls, but expanding their user base of these young users is really vital to their more than like $100 billion in annual revenue. And they don't want to jeopardize their engagement with the platform. They're doing a lot of stuff, focus groups, I mean, connecting with people uh, directly on the app. So just for the purposes of, you know, bolstering their own research, right? How do they conduct a lot of this? Yeah, they do focus groups, like you mentioned. In the past couple of years, they started doing these really huge, like large scale surveys of tens of thousands, and in one case that I'm aware of, more than 100,000 users from around the world. And then what they'll do is they'll compare these users' responses with the logs of what these users actually did or viewed on Instagram. It's really powerful research and data in terms of just kind of this like quest for people around the world to learn more about how these platforms affect people. Because in the past, outside researchers, even if they've wanted to do this kind of thing, they haven't had access to this kind of data. It's really powerful yeah. research. To be fair, some of the research also says that it isn't harmful for all users. Some teenagers can, you know, avoid this kind of negative social comparison that they can manage it at least and, and see it for what it's worth. Just to bolster that point, also, like negative social comparison, it's not 
new. Like, it's been around forever. You know, when I was a kid, there was a lot of concern about what Photoshop in, like, fashion magazines, how that would affect young people. But now what's new is the amount of time young people, especially teen girls, are spending on these platforms and kind of the rabbit hole behavior of just, like, just getting sucked in and having a hard time leaving it and feeling like they're going to miss out from their friends if they put it down. You and your colleagues spoke to a number of, of teenage girls who use Instagram. They go to it often. They said they don't want it to necessarily go away, but they do acknowledge some of this stuff. And, and even during the isolation of the pandemic, you know, this is what they went to to connect with people. Yeah, some of the teens actually likened social media and Instagram to food, where it's like, you know, you can't live without food, but it's, you know, moderation is this incredibly important skill that often people don't learn naturally. Like often people need to be taught it. And there's a lot of like education. I think a lot of young people could benefit from about how to kind of safely and healthily use these sorts of apps. So what is Facebook and Instagram doing to remedy some of these things? Because as we mentioned, you know, publicly, they're not necessarily acknowledging a lot of their own internal research, but they are doing certain things. I remember, you know, uh, some time back they were trying to uh, play around with removing the likes or the counts of likes that you get on pictures, things like that. And I guess someone else had suggested internally, let's give people less of celebrities and lifestyles and more uh, people closely associated with users. Yes, the removing the like count is kind of a head scratcher because what happened was they heard from teens over and over again that the like counts caused this anxiety and pressure for them around posting. And so they experimented with removing the like counts and they found it didn't actually seem to improve user happiness when they removed the like counts. So they did roll out the option for users to remove like counts on their accounts. Earlier this month, we spoke with Adam Masseri. He's the head of Instagram about kind of what they're working on. And he cautions that he doesn't think that there are any silver bullets to really fix this easily, but he's cautiously optimistic about some work they're doing to kind of show nudges to users who might be going down dangerous paths of content to try and like kind of steer them back to healthier content and also potentially nudges around like reminding users to take breaks. And so he said it was too early to tell what kind of impacts they'd have, but those are two that I think would be really worth, you know, people keeping an eye on. Yeah, I mean, definitely it's, you know, these social media platforms, you know, when they gain popularity and start growing in users, obviously on a business standpoint, that's exactly what you want, but they become these behemoths and affect people in so many different ways. That's when it's really difficult to start controlling those aspects. And, and yeah, for the company, they have to look for these little nudges. Uh, They mentioned also in internal documents, they suggested maybe Instagram could uh, throw in more fun filters kind of a la Snapchat, right? Turn your face into a puppy or something versus kind of these beautification filters. Yeah, exactly. So like things like that. Also what you mentioned earlier around the reducing the like fashion type content, adding kind of boosting the amount of content viewers see from their close friends. But it's, the point's well taken. So Adam actually mentioned that part of the concern when you're working on a platform at scale, like, like the size of Instagram, is that there's this concern that any changes you do can have unexpected consequences and unexpected other effects that you didn't anticipate. And so like point taken, like, yeah, I get that it's a hard challenge, but it's, I think, I do think it's at a point where parents and teens are like, Oh my goodness. Like, (laughs) what are you going to do about this? Georgia Wells reporter at the wall street journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. 
leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.